Let's turn to Mark chapter 6. Pick it up at verse 30. Verse 30. Anybody say a happy meal? Okay, well, we're, we're, we're kind of going to talk about a happy meal today. So uh, maybe if that's what you like, this would be a good talk for you. Okay, verse, uh, verse 30. The apostles gathered around Jesus and they reported to him that day all that they had done and taught. And Jesus said to them, listen, come away by yourselves to a remote place and rest a while. We talked about this just briefly last week. I said, there comes a time in your life where if you don't come apart, you'll come apart. If, you don't really, if you're not consistently coming apart to Jesus and spending time with him, you will unravel and come apart. He says, for many people were coming and they were going. They didn't even have time to eat. These guys were busy doing ministry. So they went away in a boat by themselves to a remote place. But many saw them leaving and recognized them. People ran there by land from all the towns and they arrived ahead of them. So as Jesus stepped ashore, he saw a huge crowd and he had compassion on them. You might just kind of want to underscore those, those words. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Then he began to teach them many things. And when it was already late, the disciples approached him and said, man, this place is a wilderness and it's already late. Send them away, Jesus, so they can go into the surrounding countryside and villages to buy themselves something to eat. Verse 37, you give them something to eat. And they said to him, well, should we go buy 200 denarii worth of bread and and give them something to eat? And he asked them, well, well, how many loaves do you have? Go look. Then they found out and they said, well, we got five loaves and we got two little sardines. And then he instructed them to have all the people sit down in groups on the green grass. And so they sat down in ranks of hundreds and fifties. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, looked up to heaven. He blessed and he broke the loaves. He kept giving them to his disciples to set before the people. And he also divided the two fish among them all. Everyone ate and was filled. And then they picked up 12 baskets full of pieces of bread and fish. Now, those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. So basically, he he says 5,000 men, so we can probably really guesstimate even higher, could have been upwards of eight, 9,000 people, that there probably would have been uh, not only men, but women and children. So we're talking a pretty massive crowd. Jesus, bless your word. Teach us, show us, challenge us, encourage us today. Amen. Now, you got to understand, these are, <clears throat> excuse me, these are growing days of tension, and the pressure is mounting around Jesus and the disciples. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to just share a little bit also from John chapter 6 from this same story, because this is the one story that has seen one, well, a major miracle of Jesus that is literally um, talked about throughout all four Gospels. So it has some really uh, major significance. And John has a way of kind of painting uh, some details that Mark doesn't, because Mark is really not about teaching as much as he is, is just showing, excuse me, the actions of Jesus. Now, the masses, they're following Jesus at this increasing rate, and and they're making it literally impossible for him to even get away and take a break. Now, you have to understand the motivation of people who follow Jesus. It's it's really similar to today, because back then, some are following because they're hoping, they're believing, they've been looking for over, for, for literally centuries for the Messiah. 
And some believe that maybe, maybe this is the Messiah. Others follow him because they've heard about his miracles. And to them, he's, you know, a little more than a carnival barker. And they're hoping that they're going to be able to see something or maybe experience something. And in this story, the crowds, they're following him and they're chasing him down. But they've been with him all day because he's begun to teach them and work with them and, and do things among them. And so now these people are tired and they're, and they're hungry. And Jesus realizes that, and he's, he's dealing with the disciples, and, and they go around, and they, John tells us that they find this little happy meal from this little boy, and they bring it to him, and, and Jesus is challenging the disciples through this, and he takes these two fish and these five barley loaves of bread, and he begins to just literally multiply it and, and do this miracle of feeding seven, eight, nine thousand people. Now, John's, uh, John's account notes that these people were so excited. They were so moved by the miracle that in John chapter 6, verse 15, it says literally they wanted to come and they wanted to take him by force and make him the king of Israel. Because they really didn't realize that he'd come to set up a spiritual kingdom, to give himself as the servant of humanity and to say, I'm going to live and I'm going to die for you to take care of your sins and give you a new spiritual, eternal opportunity for life, an eternal kingdom, not, not an earthly one at this point. And it's interesting because it says that these people come to take Jesus by force and literally the idea, kind of like he just disappears, he's gone. He extricates himself from their midst and moves away from them. But John goes on to say, and this is all in chapter 6 of John, he, he goes on to, uh, to say that it's probably within a few days these people come back and they're looking for more of what Jesus has to offer. What do they want? Well, Man, they want more of the bread. Man, they want more cold cuts. They want some more fish on the barbie. And so they're looking for Jesus, and they're trying to track him down. And in verse 26, Jesus of John chapter 6, he notes their motivation, and he says to them, I tell you the truth. You're looking for me, not because you saw miraculous signs, but because you ate the loaves, and you had your fill. He's saying, you know what you're looking? You're just coming. You know, I'm like a, like a drive through you're just looking for another happy meal. You're looking for the goodies. You're not looking for God the Messiah. You are missing, even though you see, and, and this is what's really important about miracles. People say, how come there's not more miracles today? How come we don't live like the Old Testament, I mean, the New Testament? See all these miracles around. You know why? Because they don't convince people. You watch Jesus, all the miracles that he did, you watch all of the miracles that happened in the New Testament. Can I tell you something? People weren't always convinced. There's probably no more people convinced by the miracles of, of what Jesus did and what the apostles did than what we see people uh, respond to today on the basis of a changed life. And that's why it's so important that you don't get so enamored with miracles. And think, oh boy, the church is really dead today because we don't see miracles. That's not true, loved ones. It didn't, it didn't change people's lives then for the most part, and it really doesn't today. So Jesus goes on this teaching rift that we see in, in, in the Gospel of John on this same miracle. And he begins to tell them, he says, listen, you guys are missing it. I am not a drive through I'm not an ATM machine. I am not a spiritual ATM. You know what I am? I'm God and you're missing it. 
I am the Messiah that was spoken of, and you're missing it. And what you need to understand is you're coming to me because you want more bread and you want more cold cuts, but what you really need to do is to eat and to receive of my life. And it's interesting because he starts talking about eating of his life and, and partaking and receiving of it. And this is how the people respond. Oh, this is a hard teaching. Who can accept it? You know why? Because it wasn't really a feel-good message. It didn't give you the Holy Ghost goosebumps. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't kind of inspire you because it called them, what are you going to do with me? Are you going to see me as your drive through or are you going to see me as your Messiah? And it says in uh, about 40 verses later in chapter 6, verse 66, it says this, and from this time on, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed. See, these guys, just within a few days, they received this great miracle of getting fed. But he doesn't do it again, so what do they do? Ah, uh, I don't want to be a part of this. There's a couple of lessons for us here, I think. First one is, you know, you can be in the company of Jesus. You can be in a church service. You can be a church member. You can grow up in a Christian home. You can hang out with Christian groups of friends. But it's quite another thing to follow Jesus. Let me ask you, how do you respond to Jesus' hard sayings, to his challenges? It's so easy to hang around for the goodies, for the feel-good worship, maybe potentially the inspiring messages, hopefully the, the ongoing blessings. But what happens when they stop, when there isn't an overflow of blessings, when the checks stop for some reason, when the, when, 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 when the problems come in your life? When Jesus says, I want you to deal with that area of sin right now. I want you to change this area of your life. How do you deal with him then? You know what they said, don't you? Yeah, this is too hard. I don't, I don't think I really want to be a part of this. Uh, a second simple point is, by way of reminder, you can't force Jesus to be your king your way. Did you know that? He's God, you're not. He's large and in charge. We're really not that much. He's God, the king, the Lord of all, the kurios, the, 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 the leader of our lives once we say yes to them. See, these people saw Jesus. Man, what's he gonna do for me? Oh, look at this miracle. He's gonna conquer, he's gonna conquer the Roman Empire and he's gonna set up Israel as had been prophesied through the prophets and now we're gonna have this great kingdom. And as soon as he didn't do what they wanted, guess what? Sayonara, we're gone, we're out of here. About face. And it says that at that point, he was absent, he was gone. I don't know if I like that. I wonder how many of us kind of might do the same thing. Jesus, I'm so glad you're here. Could you take care of this? Could you handle my spouse? Could you change my kids? Could you make work a lot better for me? Oh, by the way, here's my checkbook. Fill it up, maybe? Now, now and hear me. I know it's kind of funny, and none of us would say we do that. 
but, but don't we kind of expect that from Jesus? And pretty soon, he, we, we become his Lord. Jesus, here, do this, do that, take care of this, fulfill my dreams. And, and that's never the way that Jesus operates. Jesus didn't come to fulfill our agenda, but he wants us to come in faith where we declare, I'll, I'll follow him. I'm not going to ask him to follow me. It's, it's not about what he does for me. It's what he's already done for me. See, his lordship and his life really only comes and is manifest ongoingly as we submit to him in faith. See, following Jesus, loved ones, hear me, is not about pursuing and grabbing and getting and receiving the blessings. It's, it's ultimately all about pursuing Jesus, the blesser. And then whatever we get after that is, is wonderful. But so often, you know, we can hear people and think that we can kind of coerce and manipulate Jesus into blessing us, but we can't. Well, here's the question. Why did Jesus feed these people? I mean, the day was growing late. We see that. The crowd became hungry. What would, what would you have suggested Jesus do? See, the disciples' suggestion was pretty good. Send them away. It was reasonable. It was practical. It was the sensible thing to do. I mean, it'd be like today, you know. <clears throat> probably some of you right now are getting hungry. What time is it? You know, let's get out of here. I'm starving. And so let's say we close service, and we're just all hanging around, having a great time. And, and um, uh, one of the staff comes and says, you know, PT, man, these people are just hanging, man. They're having a great time. What are you going to do? What do you mean? What are they're hungry. Well, take care. No. Well, then some of you probably say, well, let's just say, hey, well, what about one of those you know, tacos with Terry gigs. Let's uh, see if we could do that. But no, what, what would we do? Well, get them out of here. Close the, turn the lights off. Close the doors. Get them moving. That would be the sensible thing to do. But you see, these guys were isolated. There was no Luckies or 7-Eleven really close by. It would have taken them a while to get there and get enough food. It's getting late. The people were tired. They're hungry. Translation, they're probably getting a little cranky too. That's probably one reason why the disciples are like, let's get them, let's move them on. Now hear me, it's really important because they're within walking distance of their home just like we're within driving distance of our homes. No one was going to starve. This wasn't an emergency. So why does Jesus do it? I think part of it has to, you can see it in the word compassion. Jesus is a compassionate shepherd. It says Jesus has compassion on them. We're going to look at another feeding of, of thousands in, Luke, in Mark chapter 8, a different, a different uh, feeding. And there Jesus feeds them again. And it says there his total motivation was he had this compassion. And the term compassion really has to do with, I mean, it's not pity. It's not like, oh, poor guy, and move on. It has to do with, with being moved to the inner guts, to the place where you say, i got to do something. You feel it. You don't just see it. You don't just hear it. You feel it. it it's, it's inside. And, and Jesus is totally motivated and he's so moved because Jesus cared that these people were hungry. And you know what it does? It moves him to do something. And you need to hear this, loved ones. Jesus cares about our souls, our spiritual lives. He cares if you're hungry. He cares if you're sick. He cares if you're discouraged. He cares if you need his compassion, because he's there to give it and to care for us. Part of the reason Jesus did this, I don't believe it's the whole reason, but part of it 
is that he is a compassionate shepherd, and he has the shepherd's heart. You'll see there on your notes, there's a whole list of scriptures. I mean, it's just a sampling. But one of the central motifs of the Old Testament and the New Testament is about the shepherding heart of God. Most of us have grown up with, even if we haven't been in the church, we've heard, you know, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. It's one of the great expressions and pictures of Jesus who was coming. But as you read through the Old Testament, it also talks about that God is going to give his church, he's going to give his people shepherds. And then Jesus becomes the fulfillment of that, but then Jesus sets up shepherds, and God sets up shepherds uh, in his church afterwards that are compassionate, that are going to care, that are going to lead and feed his people. And you can just do a little study on your own this week in your devotional time if you'd like. Just look at those and you see the characteristics of a good shepherd. Because it says in John 10, 11, that Jesus came as the good shepherd who comes and he lays down his life for his people. That's what shepherds do. They lead, they feed, they give themselves their life for the people. So Jesus feeds the 5,000 here and he ties it into this compassionate shepherd, Jesus, and it shows him taking care of his flock. And he begins to communicate, though, something to his disciples. You know what he's saying? He's saying, let me show you part of your responsibility now as a shepherd. I'm a shepherd. I'm going to lay down my life for these people, but I'm going to be gone. And now he's, he's kind of, he's in training with them. I always find it interesting, and I, uh, the, the sad thing for me is there's a lot of shepherds that abuse their sheep. Jesus never did. He was the ultimate shepherd. He's the model, the prototype And there's plenty of prophecies in the Old Testament that point to the New Testament that said God wants to raise up shepherds after the heart of the great shepherd. And I'm saddened whenever I hear of shepherds that are so dictatorial and um, abuse their sheep and use them and fleece them for their own purposes. But I'm also saddened for people who ever get the idea that they don't need shepherding. You see, all of us need shepherding. We really can't do this whole thing on our own. So why does, what's another reason maybe why Jesus does this as the miracle worker? It's interesting to see what some scholars say about this miracle. Did you know that one of them said this? It's a sacramental meal. I mean, each person received a small portion. And through it, the people were nourished spiritually. It doesn't say anything about that. It says that there was 5,000 men. There was 12 baskets left over after getting two fish and five loaves. Someone else, another scholar said, well, you know what happened? You know what really happened there is is a lot of people just, you know, there's a number of the people that knew they were going to be gone all day, so they brought a nice little lunch, and they had just enough over. And Jesus just ministered to them in such a way that touched their hearts, and they just started sharing with the people around them. And that was a miracle in itself, you know, that people would share their little happy meal. I don't think so. I think it's a miracle. And I also don't believe this. I don't believe for one minute Jesus did it to prove a point that he was the Messiah. I think he did it because people were hungry. Could you imagine Jesus doing it because he's, well, just trying to prove something? I often think of Jesus. I mean, if I was doing it, you know, it'd be, you know, hey, let's, man, we've got a great crowd here. Pull a show on for him. You know, are you ready, Nat? 
Can you imagine Jesus going, hey, here you go now, a little, little barley for you. You know, and, and, and hey, Pete, here, here's a few more. Get them over there, you know. I, 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 don't, I, I wouldn't be surprised if Jesus did something like that, but I don't think he did it for the show. I think he did it for a couple of reasons. Number one, as we said, because he's got this compassionate shepherd's heart and people were hungry. But also, notice, his plan beautifully, deliciously, delightfully dovetails the spiritual and the practical. Have you ever noticed that? Sometimes we read Jesus, we see a miracle like that, and we just see this great miracle. Woo, that's cool. But we don't even see the practical elements that are so woven within it. See, some people become so spiritually minded, they lose sight of the practical issues and the needs at hand. And some people become so practically minded, Jesus could never break into their life with something spiritual. Someone said it this way, I like this. A pessimist seems, uh, sees himself as the ultimate realist. See, the spiritual and the practical need to be dovetailed. We see how Jesus is very practical. He sees the people's need. He sees their hunger while he's tapping into their spiritual need. And they've listened to him for most of the day. He's been teaching them, sharing the life about the kingdom with them. And then all of a sudden they're hungry. He doesn't just go, Ah, tough rocks, man. I got you spiritually. See ya. No. He gets real practical, and he has a plan. So he does this miracle. But as he does this miracle, he taps his guys on the shoulder to be practically helping him. I like that because Jesus does the same thing with us. See, I think not only is Jesus showing his shepherd's heart and his compassion here, but he's showing, he's mentoring his disciples. He's at this point in his ministry. You know, we're getting close to halfway through this book of, of the Gospel of Mark. And Jesus is in training mode. He's only got a short time, probably maybe a couple more years with his disciples. And so he's saying, here's a teaching moment. I'm going to disciple these guys. And what are the lessons? What's the lessons that he teaches from them to us? Number one, you do it. The disciples come to Jesus with this reasonable suggestion. Send the people away. Send them home to eat. They're hungry. But Jesus says, get this. You do it. You feed them. I mean, this idea, I mean, it never crossed their mind. It wasn't even on the radar. It wasn't even their responsibility. Why would we have to do that? They object, and what was their objection? Oh, it's going to cost too much. <laughs> it's going to take, man, all that denarium. That's got to be eight months' wages. Have you ever heard that one before? It's going to cost too much. We can't do that. It's amazing how a lot of great ideas get dismantled by that objection. We can't afford it. I believe that's one of the greatest killers of creativity is when the first thing anybody says, oh, we can't afford it, it's gonna cost too much. Never let money stop you from hearing the voice of God for your life. If I was Chris and Brittany, I'd go, it's gonna cost too much. It's too expensive over there. I'm gonna recount the cost. I'm not gonna count, I'm gonna recount it. No, either you trust God with your life or you don't. Jesus says what? You do it. So the disciples' plan was to send them away. We are weary. You know what Jesus' plan always is? Oh, let the weary come unto me. And I so often, oh, Jesus, give me that heart. 
that I can have your heart of compassion and shepherding. Oh, I know I'm weary, but let the weary come unto me. So easy to do, send people away. But don't assume that you should send people away. Don't assume that it is someone else's responsibility. Maybe Jesus has you in training and he wants you to do something. I used to, when in the early years here, my first few years here, somebody would call me to do something. Lickety split, I'd be on it. Oh, you want me to go visit this person because they need Jesus? Okay. I'm the preacher. I've got all the answers. <laughs> oh, you want me to go pray for them? Sure, I'll do that. Yeah. Whew. You know what I do now, don't you? I said, well, what do you know about Jesus? Well, I know this, and I know, okay, well, you tell him. Not that I don't care, but you see, every one of us loved ones is in training. Pastor, could you go pray for this person? Well, you know what, why don't you pray for them first? Because that's what Jesus is doing with the disciples, and I think, you know what, most in this room, if you're not, I'm just, I'm glad you're here, and you you know, there's maybe some things you'll be able to take away today. But ultimately, loved ones, every one of us has a story about what Jesus has done. That's what you tell people, how great this God is. You can pray for people to be healed as easily, probably better than I can. I love what I'm seeing. More and more Creeksiders are coming to me. PT, what do you think if I do this? Can, Can you help me do this? I say, absolutely. I would love to do that. Let me pray with you. Let me give. Let me help. Let me serve you. I love what people are doing out there for people. It isn't just about what we do in here. See, did you know there's almost a billion people will go to bed hungry tonight, malnourished? Over three billion people are drinking dirty water that's making them sick or killing them. Over three billion people are living on less than $2 a day. And see, when it comes to feeding the hungry and taking care of some of these needs, it's so easy So many want to say, God, where are you? Why don't you do something? (laughs) And you know what I'm thinking? I think Jesus is sitting up there praying for us and going, oh God, Father, I just wish they would do something. I just wish they would do something. I wish my church would kind of get outside of itself. See, when you see needs around you, loved ones, do you think, boy, I sure wish someone would do something about that. Boy, that person needs help. I hope someone helps them. That person needs prayer. I hope someone prays for them. That person needs to know Jesus. I hope someone shows him Jesus. When you leave today, can I just tell you? That's you. You, 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 me. We don't have to have all the answers. Someone once told me this, and it's one of my favorite sayings, because I told you, I'm not a smart guy. A man or a woman with an, uh, with an experience with God is never at the mercy of a man or a woman with an argument. And I don't care. Yeah, I don't care how smart you are. You can tell me whatever you want, but I know where I was going. I know what my life was like before Jesus, and I know what it's like now. Uh, and it was like B.C. Now I know what it's like A.D. after my death. In him, argue all you want. I'm going to heaven. 
And, and I think that we have to have loved ones that kind of a sense, not, not arrogance, but confidence that, okay, I, I may not be able to hang with your intellect, but boy, I can sure live with my experience. See, Jesus never expects any of us to have all the answers or to meet every need. We can't do everything, but we can sure do something. And too often, like the disciples, we can assume that it's not my responsibility, but somebody else's. Someone else should do it. But when we live that way, we miss out on these incredible opportunities that God wants to do something in us and through us. And then it ultimately really becomes for us. God can do something incredible, loved ones, through each one of your lives if you're simply like that, like that fish and barley. You're yielded and you're broken and you're open. Well, hear this, because God can do a lot with a little. Jesus took a little lunch that was meant to feed one boy, five, and, and with over 5,000 people, he fed them. No, Jesus can take a small thing and make it a big thing. And Jesus was training his disciples through this whole process. And he says, I, 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 don't want, I want you to learn. God's not limited by what you don't have. You just bring what you have and he can do a lot with it. Have you ever felt overwhelmed by the needs around you? I, I, I honestly, I do all the time. And it's so easy to feel small and insignificant because, well, we are. And we begin to think, though, we live on the basis of that and believe, okay, well, well why bother? What difference can I make? I just want a, a little woman from Calcutta, a little bit over four foot tall. She said this, we can do no great things, but only small things with great love. And ultimately, loved ones, that's all we have to offer. But God wants us to know that he changes the world by taking the small gifts and he does great things with them. In spring, I've talked about this and I hope I can get it together and administrate it, but we've, only, we've talked about, thought about this and how can I do it? But have a Sunday where, or a weekend where we come and we, the church leaves the building, we come here, maybe have a quick celebration, a little worship. And then we, we have some projects that we go to throughout our community. So our church sees that we're not just here for ourselves in these four walls, but we literally, we go out and we minister to the homeless. We go fix some people's homes maybe that need it, or we go do some things for the city that need to be done. And then we come back and get, go home, get cleaned up, and come back and have a potluck together and, and celebrate. And, and, and you know what? We think, well, what, what difference is it going to make? Not much but a little. It'll make a difference in some little way. And it teaches us that maybe, just maybe, God can use that for something bigger than what we would ever think. Because God can do a lot with a little. And I think this is true in every situation. See, you may not have much faith, but God can do a, with, do a lot with a little faith. Remember what he said? If you got just the faith of a mustard seed, the smallest seed possible, I can use it. Let me use it. I love our harvest offering. It's coming up in about five weeks. Do you know, I think our first harvest offering in 1992 at Thanksgiving was, uh, I think it was like $600. It's a little group of people. 
I just kind of, I don't know, I just said, let's do something for missions, and I don't want to tinker around with all the things that they were doing before and trying to have this bake sale. And I says, let's just bring what we got, $600. Did you know 21 years later, we, I think it was like $70,000 one, one weekend? Can you believe that? That's what we use now to, 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 to bless missionaries uh, globally. That's what we use to help ministries locally that we just give. That's what we're using to, we used it to help start uh, Generations Church in Pleasant Hill. And we were able to start George, Pastor George off with 35,000. We're gonna be able to help uh, Pastor Chris and Brittany with over 40,000. It's amazing the small things can grow to be big things when we let God touch us. And that's why I challenge all of us, loved ones, in five weeks on Sunday before Thanksgiving, we're going to receive this offering. And we're going to use it again. We're going to use it for missionaries. We're going to use it. Because that way we don't have to, okay, we've got a missionary coming through. Oh, we've got a need over here. Let's pony up this Sunday. And then you're always hearing about money. No, we take care of it one time because you And people in this church say, I'm going to do that over and above my regular giving. Some of you think, well, I don't have much strength. But God can do a lot with a little strength. Perhaps you're in a failing marriage today. Perhaps you've got kids that are going sideways. And you just think, I just give up on this. No. You don't think you have the strength. You don't think you have the will. You don't think you have the power. Keep going. A little bit of faith. God can take the little faith and the little will that you have and he can work with it and make it greater. Well, discipleship then and now. The disciples didn't have much, did they? One little meal from one little boy. But what did they do? Three things. Number one, They said, start. Start with what you have. Jesus asked them, what do you got? It wasn't much, but it was something. And when faced with a difficulty or a challenging circumstance, we tend to first thought what I don't have. I don't have enough money. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't have enough skill. We don't have enough people. Oh, I don't know if I have the will to get through and do it. And this was the disciples' default mode back then, and it's too many disciples' default mode today, loved ones. We, we don't have enough to feed everyone, but we've got enough to feed some. We don't have enough to stop poverty throughout the world, but we might be able to help with the poverty of a few. And sometimes we can become so myopic. Why do we do things for Mexico? Because God said to go throughout the world, not just your little area, but he said to go everywhere. And so we try and stay balanced in that. We don't have the option of just doing one little thing because we're not a little thing anymore. We're a bigger, we have much greater opportunity. But it starts with what you have. If we, if we just simply bring, uh, uh, if we just simply do it. You know, Creekside had 40 or 50 people met in that little room across the way. We weren't much. We didn't have much except a lot of debt. And you know what? Look what God's done. He's taken a little group of people and he's made it a community. A community that is committed to reaching the community and to doing little things throughout the world. Don't you love that? 
second is not only do you start with what you have, but secondly, bring what you have to Jesus. Jesus asked, what do you got? The disciples said, I got five buns and two sardines. And Jesus said, bring it to me. That meal in, my, in, in your hands and my hands will feel, feed one person. But when we bring that little bit to Jesus, it feeds thousands. When you bring what you have, the adventure starts. The faith adventure really starts as a Christ follower. When you go, wow, I ain't got much. Let me see, I think I got about, oh man, I got $42 here. Okay, Lord, here, I'm going to give you 21. You know, I'm going to get whatever it is. And all of a sudden, that little bit becomes a big thing in God's hands. Or you go, you know what? I don't know a lot of Bible, but I'm going to try and lead this class. It's amazing how much you learn as you do because you bring it to Jesus. The last thing is this. You start, you bring, and then you do. You do what he says. After they brought the meal to Jesus, he told them what to do next. He says, get the people to sit down in groups. Pass out the food and then pick up the leftovers. I don't know about you, that's pretty easy stuff. I can do that. It's all very possible. That's exactly what Jesus says. He, he, he says, do this, and then he prays and he thanks God. And then he multiplied the food and he started giving them the food to distribute. And what happens? Whew, whew. More, here, keep feeding them, keep going. And then there's leftovers, there's more left over than what they started with. See, what does he do? He just says, keep giving and giving and giving. I think this is how it works. Jesus simply asks us to do the possible so what? He can do the impossible. And when we cooperate with him, it's amazing what he can do. See, Jesus was training those disciples to trust him. And he's saying the same thing to us. You know what I love about Jesus? He doesn't need you. He doesn't need me. He doesn't need us. But he invites us into the privilege of seeing miracles take place. And he says, bring it. Bring it to me. Watch. See, Jesus is God. And when you really believe that, it's a game changer for your life. Hold on.